Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. My name is Anthony Giorgio from Quarantine Podcast. And I'm Kate Oakson from Make It Better for Youth. And welcome to our 7 p.m. panel discussion from the documentary film Pieces of Us. We're going to have a sneak peek and a talk with the filmmakers behind the film about LGBTQ plus hate crime survivorship. Uh, I'd also like to introduce at this time David Morrison as our ASL interpreter. Um, we will be showing a sneak peek, but uh, we just discussed that there will not be interpretation on the film with the sneak peek, but this is very short. Um, yeah, so I think we're ready to go. If we could start with introductions of, uh, and your role in the film, and then we'll move to the sneak peek and, and start a larger discussion. So, Mikhail, go first. Hi, everyone. My name is Mikhail, um, pronounced like Miguel with a K, and um, I am one of the uh, co-producers of Pieces of Us, the film. Um, I'm also one of the subjects of the film, and um, I've been behind this project, I'd say, for well over uh, eight years now, um, and I'm excited to talk about how it all evolved. <laughs> Cheryl. Hi, I'm Cheryl Allison, and I am the director of Pieces of Us, as well as one of the producers. And, and I'm Mark Vonderheide. I am the executive producer and one of the co-producers of the film. Um, got involved because I've known Mikkel for many years and Mikkel had known Cheryl for many years and we started talking individually and as a group and suddenly we realized we had a film that needed to be told and that's a little hint about how we got to uh, be the, the three of us working on this together. Great. And now... I have the right to live with the, with the freedom of who I am. And um, that was one of the biggest reasons which made me come out and become the first member of a royal family to come out openly as gay. I stand on the corner of the bed and the next thing I knew, he threw a blood choke hold around my neck. We're holding hands. This guy, he's just like, so you guys are fucking faggots, right? Didn't you hear me, motherfucker? My nose is broken so badly. I am my son's voice. He is not here to be able to speak up and speak it for himself. And someone has to do it, and I'm his mom, and I will always do it. And not only will I do it for him, I will do it for anyone who feels like they can't use their voice. There's no map of life, but you have to know how to navigate it no matter what. So, you know what? Let's have a conversation. Cheryl, do you want to? Sure. In the, uh, in the teaser, the yeah. first person we heard from was Prince Manvindra. He is the um, only openly gay royal in the world. And so he's a prince of India and uh, of Rajpipla. And um, he came out and he was disowned by his family. Uh, he, his effigies were burned. There were riots for him to be, um, you know, not have any of the royal income or property anymore. He risked everything and uh, to, to be truthful of who he is. And now he's really, uh, Mikkel describes this in the film, he's the Gandhi of the LGBTQ community for India. Uh, and he has really done so much work to help uh, for them to gain rights 
and now he's he's helping to build uh, the bridges, you know, socially uh, for the people. So we'll talk more about what he's doing. He's building like the first LGBTQ center there in Raj Pipla. So it was a real gift to have him in the film. Uh, he's been friends with Mikkel for a very long time um, and was actually a support to Mikkel when Mikkel was going through his recovery from his hate crime. So this film, everything is connected. Everything is interconnected. And that's what one thing that's so special about this film. So that was Prince Manvendra. And then the other person, of course, we know Mikkel. Now, and the other person in the film was Gypsta. And I'd love for Mark to tell you a little bit about Gypsta because um, he brought Gypsta into the film. Sure, yeah, his um, name is J.P. Masterson. Uh, Gypsta is his rapper name. He's a gay white rapper, so you can probably count on one hand the number of people fit into that category these days. And he's also a school psychologist. And on his 10th anniversary with his partner, he was out celebrating in New York City and was brutally attacked on a New York subway platform. And he talks about that in the film, and he talks about returning to work literally the next day with his face very heavily bandaged. He was almost thrown in front of a train and they never caught the guy who did it. And um, his school welcomed him back because his school, and this is what's so important in the film, his school has a program, a social contract with the children signed with the teachers. And he's the psychologist there and he works with his principal to make sure that all of the students have an anti-bullying program, that they have a program that holds each other accountable. So when he came back to work, which he was afraid to do, he was greeted with love as opposed to you know, what he was afraid of, which was continued hate. Mm -hmm. And his story is another crucial part in the film where we talk about an ambassador and teaching the younger generation, especially. We interview, Cheryl interviews some eight and nine-year-olds in the film, and to hear them talk with more wisdom than many adults yeah. is inspiring. Okay. Gosh, the first time I watched that, I cried. I cried. I, uh, just for so many things, and I know Mikkel personally for a very long time now in my life. Oh, hold on. There we go. Cool. Uh, first of all, thank you for making this. I mean, it's just, it's just really, really fantastic and it needs to be told. Can you also, it doesn't matter who, can someone explain the other two people in the film? Uh, the other, uh, yes. Um, Mikkel, if you can talk about Leia, I think that talk about Leia. your story sure. is how you're so, connected. Um, uh, Leia is, um, someone I actually connected with, uh, uh, deeply when the news of her nine-year-old boy who suicided almost two years ago came out on Facebook and because of my story and my history of being bullied when I was a kid on top of you know family struggling with my uh, being gay because of their religious beliefs um, we're much better on that and um, I want to add that in but all of that combined and then hearing Leia, a mom who accepted her nine-year-old boy and who accepts her children for who they are, to, to have suffered such a huge loss, compelled me to reach out to her on Facebook. And I basically said, look, you don't know me from Adam, but I know and feel what you're going through. If you feel comfortable enough to connect with me, uh, let's chat on Facebook and we did. And uh, she was right in her, the beginning of her loss and grieving and dealing with a lot of press wanting to, to uh, uh, get on top of her story for press, not really being connected a, 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 as a person to her loss. So she opened herself up reluctantly and with a lot of um, reserve because she was being approached a lot. And on top of um, the community in Denver, Colorado, um, still dealing with uh, some really uh, uh, hate, uh, like hate crimes, like people hate there. Like it's a small town mentality of, of, of not accepting LGBTQ people. So all of that wrapped in um, and I spoke to Mark about this and uh, Cheryl and I um, went to Denver and I met her in person. 
um, because I made I made that an opportunity and I showed her I I actually want to be her friend. And so Leia and I have become friends. We just talked a couple of days ago. Um, she sounds so much better. She's her and her girls, you know, they've moved out of Denver. Um, so that's how I know Leia. I approached her on Facebook. And let me, I'll add a little bit to that um, because what happened, which again speaks to this you know, quilted group of people that all come together in this film is PFLAG was a really big support for Leia, parents and friends of lesbians and gays in Denver. And when Mikkel went out there, he also met with the PFLAG team, uh, Brett and Blanca. Uh, I don't know if you met them both at that time, but I know you met with Brett. And we talked about that we were making this film and we never thought that it would happen, what actually happened, which was PFLAG said, we'd like to send Leia and her daughters to World Pride to be with you. Mm -hmm. And they donated the money to send her. And we were so honored to host her because it was going to be a chance for her to see the love that she felt for her son that couldn't be there. And I still get a little emotional talking about it because yeah. it was such, she'd never even been on a plane. <laughs> and Brett traveled with the family. And when they arrived, we had this incredible three days with them and they got to march in the parade uh with us yeah and yeah it's a cheryl maybe you can add since you filmed it all <laughs> yes and you know i i sat with her goodness i you know over almost three and a half hours we had just a one-on-one -on -one personal interview um because my style when i sit with the subjects of a documentary that i'm directing um i'm a little selfish in that i like to just be in there by myself because i feel they become more open um and because there's not people around just you know distracting and making them maybe feel hesitant so i said with her when we when we talked about pride and i asked her what that meant to her and everything you know she kept coming back to the to the thought that she now has a family like she has yes she has a family she's close to her mother you know she has siblings but she said i have a big family that i never had before that's there for me and she got so emotional talking about that because because of what Mikkel had done by reaching out to her then you know she became close with Gypsta and she you know got to meet the prince and you know and she's on the swish ally fun float and meeting all of this and p-flag and all this support so she just um i believe it was a lifeline for her yeah. um you know it wasn't her only lifeline she had other people in her life but it was a significant lifeline to see her through um, something that's unimaginable. Yeah, after the parade, she um, said to me after the, like, you know, you know how chaotic pride. Yeah. In that, was, that was a particularly chaotic one because it was yeah. more, <laughs> that after, was insane. Yeah, after it was the, almost 4 million people. Yeah. yeah, the parade started at 10 and stopped at midnight. So it was insane. Yeah, it was almost a four hour wait before yeah. So after all said and done, um, she pulled me aside after the, you know, uh, next to the float after it got parked. And she goes, Mikkel, she's like, oh my God. She's like, I want to move here. I, I need to get out <laughs> yeah. of Denver. She's like, oh my God. I, she was, she was transformed. It ain't always like that, but hey. <laughs> no, but, I mean, like, and like Cheryl said, like we were a new lifeline and, yeah. and you know, I, I was Go ahead. I was gonna say it opened her mind to others like her. Um, one of the things that astonished me in when, when I became associated with her Facebook page has how eloquent she was as an advocate, yeah. as a straight woman who was using the same language I was using and talking about acceptance and her mm -hmm. son. And not just as she says in the teaser, she'll do it for anyone. She's, she's, that's, that's her. You know, she's not just the mother of a gay son who had to figure out what, how her life changed when her son left this earth and how to raise her daughters. She could have gone into a cocoon and, and disappeared. And she chose the opposite, which was to stand up for everyone. Yeah. And I think that gave her strength. And you see that in the film. Because you know what, she's the kind of person that even if she had not lost her son and her son 
was not gay, she would have been a straight ally mm -hmm. because that's the kind of woman she is. Yes. Um, but it was amazing to me to see her openness because you can imagine losing your child uh, and especially in that type of way. Um, she's very protective of him and his, and his memory. And of course, she's going to hold her family very close. Um, and she allowed me, who was basically a stranger at the time, to, except I had met her at Pride, to come into her home, um, talk about really tough things. Um, and she um, showed me pictures. She, you know, she had, she has, um, you know, sort of a memorial to him. And she allowed me to film it and see it. And she allowed me to film things in, that I never ever would have thought I would be able to film. And it's because she trusted us. Yes. Um, and because of the love that we surrounded her with to assure her that it wasn't just for the film that we were giving her this love and this sort of community. Um, we would have given it to her whether or not she chose to be in the film or not. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's what's so important. Okay, I wanna um, ask a question here and this sort of, um, it takes into account your experience with this specific film, but maybe film more widely. Um, and I, and because the people that you feature in it are from very different places, very different walks of life, like what about film itself is unifying and helping people, um, or maybe help might not be the right word, but in addressing the particular story um, that you're approaching with this, like this is, challenging like on the on the best day this is probably not something i'd want to watch at night i would you know what i mean i would have a serious emotional yeah re response and it's any one of us have that has ever faced sure. you know even feeling unsafe for a moment right um have a hard time bridging the reality of our own lived experience and then watching other people's lived experience so yes. maybe it's too complex of a question but can you talk a little bit about I'm always asking the comments. No, no, and you know what? Very complex friend here. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I love it. I, I, I can hear questions. It's a solid. Cheryl uh, loves questions like this. Don't yeah, worry. Exactly. Well, I love it. I'm chomping at the bits, and then I'm sure that y'all are gonna, y'all are gonna pop in. <laughs> you know, they hired a very talkative director. So, um, <laughs> but you know what? Um, first of all, you know, you were saying people from all different sort of walks of life, right? But we've all, they've all shared a common. Um, experience and it was a tragic experience but they've all shared it in one way or another whether it happened to themselves whether it happened to their child mm -hmm. whether they are support groups like AVP here anti-violence project uh, who is in the film Beverly Tillery you know uh, and the amazing uh, director of AVP um, from Victoria Cruz who is obviously you know the icon of you know our community from Stonewall, you know an amazing uh, trans woman activist. She is in the film um, to the prince. So we have all of these people from different walks of life, but we they've all experienced either a hate crime or bullying or being different or losing a child, and so that tragedy unites them. So that I think answers that first question of how it um, it feels universal. So anybody can watch this and relate to it in one way or another. Um, but as you said, you wouldn't want to watch this at night. Well, I'm going to try to change your mind because um, if this was just a film that would still be incredibly important to just highlight uh, LGBTQ hate crime, which is incredibly important. And you know, we throw a lot of statistics at you and things like that. Absolutely. That would be incredibly important just on its own. But what makes this film special is, I don't think I've seen a lot of films that show you what happens after right. you've survived the hate crime, right? Because a news story, you know, CBS, ABC will report the crime. They're gonna show the horrible pictures and then they move on. Right. So right. what happens to those individuals? Yes. Well, this is the story because what's happened is they have taken that word survivor and they have run with it. And Mikkel was just one example of paying it forward. And each one of them in their own ways have found ways to become, you know, activists for the community to help other victims of hate crimes. And that's what I, I want people to leave this film going, oh my God, out of tragedy came healing and hope 
and love. And if there's a young boy or young girl, uh, a young trans person in whatever state, you know, Podunk, Iowa somewhere, nothing against Iowa, but what I'm saying, they watch this film, they're gonna go, wait a minute, I'm not alone. I'm being bullied in school. They talked about PFLAG, maybe I'll, I'll reach out because my parents are, are trying to kick me out of the house or there's people I can reach out to. So that'll be a lifeline for them, like these people were a lifeline for each other. Yes. That's the power in media and film. I mean, that is so eloquently, eloquently put because now this can literally go all to the pockets, to the small pockets, to the big pockets of people that don't necessarily have that. I know you say Iowa as a joke, but like, it's true. Like there are literally middle of nowhere places where if a kid is on the computer on that, wherever this gets put and they happen to stumble upon it, all right. things they like and interest. And look, I'm from Texas. So, you know, I'm the first one to say, I'm not, you know, being like, well, I'm saying this because I'm out in New York or something. I used to live in New York, used to live in LA, but I'm born and raised in Texas and yeah. I know there are you know small towns here that need this type of education they need it. And they, because you know it's it's just fear based. That's what it is. Yes. And you know when you sit there and consider that one in five hate crimes are because of LGBTQ bias. Yes. One in five. I mean right. that's a recent stat. So yeah. we have to try to get this out. And I don't feel that this film, even though you see Stonewall Fifty, the Pride Parade, and all that, I think this film will not be dated. We could watch this film in five years. And unfortunately, there probably will be people that relate to it because they've been victims or they're survivors. Um, but I hope it will be less. But I think it's going to speak to people for years to come. Yes. Michael, can I will you add, add one thing on that since you mentioned the statistic. Four out of five LGBTQ hate crimes are unreported, yeah. which is an enormous amount of people who don't feel that they're comfortable or have a place to even be heard because the the stigma of being gay or being trans is still so powerful in in places we hope it wouldn't be and you know you can talk about middle america you can talk about india who uh you know we, we go through this in the film you'll go to india and and people think the prince lives in this glamorous palace now there <laughs> is there is a palace but anthony you know and Mikhail, you know and you yeah. can it's not glamorous, um, you know, and what he's done is he's given people there who have an even stronger religious stigma, even stronger and more, you know, further back in history challenges in their DNA to overcome this. The ability to see, like Cheryl said earlier, he risked it all. Yeah. Um, yes. and, and Mikkel says this at one point in the film, I'm not a prince, but I share your story. And to your point earlier about these five different people, you know, I include my friend Susanna in that five. She's, she's one of the advocates in the film. She takes a role like Victoria Cruz to help tell the story, a straight woman who has that in common with Leia. Anyone can be an advocate. Yeah. Yes. Anyone. Yeah. And the, more you, to learn. and the more we have, the more our stories carry weight and change minds and then they change yeah. lives. Mm -hmm. Yes. I do love that what Mikkel says. Of course, I know the exact line because I'm also, I forgot to say, I'm also editing the film. So I directed it, but I've been editing it for the past uh, basically five and a half months. I'm almost done. I promise you, Mark. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's tough, you know, to, to edit it. But Mikkel says, I may not be a prince, but the story is the same. And yeah. so the sto this story is the same for so many people who will be watching it. And one through line I want to say, um, that's a that's a common thread, not just the hate crimes or the effect of the hate crimes in itself. Every person in this, the what I consider Mikkel, Gypsta, the Prince, um, you know, Leah's son, Leah's son, um, they were all bullied as children. You know, they felt different. They were bullied, and bullying is such an aspect in this film because it starts when you're so young. And you don't have to be gay. You can be bullied for any reason. So that's really, in my opinion, sort of a second layer of a lesson that we're showing here. And then when Mark said, you know, that we interviewed these nine and 10 year old kids, they're talking about bullying and how wrong it is and how, you know, you can be gay, straight, trans, bi. I mean, they're saying all the words and they're like nine years old and they're like, that's okay. 
And that blew me away. It's an amazing, youth are amazing across the board. We, I know that, I, that's the work I do, that's the work that Kate does. Um, but a big part of it is like, uh, when you're young, you're not born obviously hateful, you're, you're brought into it, you're, right. you're thrown those things. Uh, and then there comes a point where, yeah, you might have all these different types of people in your life, but there does come a point where we start to survive, right? So we cut that off and we go into survival mode. It happens around high school for a lot of people because we see that, oh, well, we can't do that or we, someone said something to you. Our history books don't help. Um, and therefore, why people do what they do to other people and hurt them and say certain things to them is because it's systemic, right? That's what's going yeah. on in the world right yeah. now as we speak. Exactly. Just drawn into our brains. That's what we have to do to survive, even if we're hurting somebody. And that will lead me into Macau. If you don't mind, can you just tell me a little bit about your story and tell everybody because your voice is very strong and powerful and everyone needs to hear the story. Uh, the hate crime story? Yeah, and just, let's, you don't have to tell it all, but you can tell some of it if you like, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I'll say it this way. I know after my six years of working through PTSD, uh, the, the cycle started from bullying because Victoria Cruz told me, um, before I, I share the story, during my uh, um, most vulnerable moments at AVP, she said most victims who don't go and get help tend to repeat the cycle, meaning they 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 uh, become victimized again. Because I was bullied, because I dealt with a very um, difficult uh, religious roadblock between uh, the love of my family and me, my cycle carried on up until that night um, where I met um, this this guy at a bar. And the short story is he really reminded me of my ex. I, and so he was my type, all of those things. I was, I was romanticizing the fact that he lived in the same township here in New Jersey. So I invited him over for some wine and what I thought was going to be a night of getting to know each other and connecting as gay men do. Um, uh, he decided to attack me. Um, and, uh, the last thing I knew, uh, when he threw the blood choke hold around my neck was I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't fight my way out of it. And I started to black out at that point. I knew that was it. There was just no way out for me. And, um, when he released, I knew I had to survive three more times, which is what my, um, therapist told me. Um, I survived this attacker three times that night. Um, I needed to get him out of the house to protect, to protect people in the house because I was on the top floor. So I really had to pull it together after this happened. I pissed on myself. I didn't know where I was. And I knew that something was wrong. So I ended up having to wrestle him and pretend that it was okay, that he was throwing me on my futon, cracked it and all these things, just to get him out of the house to protect the other people living in the house, the other renters. Once I got him out of the house, I knew I had to get him away from me. And so my survival instinct kicked in. He wanted money. I took him to an ATM. I couldn't take cash out of the ATM. I was unemployed and I knew that there was a camera there. So I, I'm an actor. I grew up in the arts. I, I became the best actor to, to, to survive this. And then I took him to the next ATM and he softened up a bit. And I was like, what do you want this money for? He's, he needed to get out of the, out of town. He's like, I have to get out of town. And I, and I, took him to the next ATM knowing there was a camera, no money. I convinced him to follow me into the Dunkin' Donuts knowing there were cameras to get him away from me, at least be in a public space. And the last thing I heard um, as I walked into the Dunkin' Donuts was I'm fucked. Excuse for being, you know, and, uh, but that's what happened. And then I sat in the Dunkin' Donuts dazed 
not not believing that this just happened to me and just like what mark pointed out with statistics i was fearful of even calling the police because i didn't trust that they were going to handle this appropriately so who did i call when i ran back to the apartment i called avp the hotline and that person she saved my life it was it was really really tough sorry guys um when you have to call a stranger to to help you you know it's like it really brings things into perspective so she talked me off a ledge and i had to let my roommate know what had happened i was super embarrassed you know but i listened to that crisis counselor talk me through i had to trust her words and then i dialed 911 the minute that police officer came up and people shouldn't have to do this even now this is why i connect with black lives matter because i really had to protect myself i told that cop i said you know what you need to know I called the anti-violence project first because this is a gay related crime and I can't trust that you will handle this appropriately. That man turned three shades of white and he handled it appropriately. And the detectives handled it appropriately. And I was able to identify this man. I put myself out on the line because they told me that no one was brave enough to come forward to identify this perp who has had a record a week later we after he attacked me he he broke his way into another house in the neighborhood and beat the crap out of of a friend's father this guy is crazy wow. so and what was more isolating was me not have been able to speak about my problems at work because it i'm gay because it was a hate crime because of bias because of fear that kept me in my own bubble and that's why i turned into to my art to my music to to doing pieces of me the show which blossomed into pieces of us the film i had to exercise my demons because I couldn't even go back to, I couldn't even talk about this with my parents. Right. And now I have an extended family. Yeah, you do. You do. Thank you. Uh, I just, it's very uh, brave of you, Mikkel, to it's extremely brave. go back into that space and talk about it, which it's I know important. you do in the film. It, it's very painful, but you know, it, it's important. I feel the pain when I hear every, any any person, any trans person, anyone who gets bullied, who gets targeted, who gets spat at, I feel it with them. And this is why this this film is super important because it's not a gloom and doom film. We show people what we can do to turn it turn it on its head, you know? Yeah. Turn hate to turn hate into love. That's a reoccurring saying that's amazing that I didn't prompt, but Mikkel says it, Leia says it, Victoria says it. We have to turn hate into love. And yes. if Mikkel, imagine if Mikkel would have stayed in that place of, of trauma and victimization and, and grief, you know, Leia staying in grief and never released it. He, that's the reason. See, he was able to reach out to Leia. He was able to do this because you didn't keep it in. You turned it out and you turned it into something positive and something healing. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, mean, I even brought a version of the show to Rutgers. And I knew that even going to Rutgers with pieces of me and uh, sharing the story in a one-man show format wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. You said something, Mikkel, as you were talking that I want to touch on because I think it's important. Um, you said the officer told you no one else had come forward. No one else had the courage to identify this man. Yes, the detective, yes. And that's the word that I want to focus on, which is courage. Mm -hmm. it's, it requires enormous courage to do what you know you want to do and need to do. And so many people 
don't know that they have that courage. They've never, they've never had to deal with something as traumatic as this. Mm -hmm. And to summon that courage is the thing that will save you. And to know that you have a lifeline, and Mikkel mentioned this, reaching out to a stranger in your most, mm -hmm. you know, horrific night of your life. Um, it doesn't, the lifeline, the form it takes doesn't matter. You have to know it exists. Yes. And that's what we talk about in this film. Yes. We talk about Antiviolence Project, PFLAG, right. the Search Ally Fund as right. groups that can help. And then we also talk about the courage. Oh, and yeah. it's important for Cheryl, I think, to talk about, as you said earlier, what's next. When you hear a story like that, and I, I still get emotional, Mikhail, even when I hear it now, um, and it's, he tells it in the film, and he has a moment with Victoria Cruz in the film, which is important because Victoria represents Stonewall, the 60s. She marched in the first gay pride in 1970, believe it or not, 50 yeah. years ago. She, her generation is there for Mikkel yes. and Gypsy. And now that generation is teaching through Gypsy, through these organizations, these nine and 10 year olds of today that have to grow up in a world that's very different than we right. do my generation but hate hasn't changed enough yeah. and to have ambassadors as children is what's going to save the next generation literally i have to go through what we did and that's what i wanted to mention the film showcases how you our lgbtq stories need to be told they don't there's there's not enough books there's not enough movies there's not enough out there and this film right. is important because that our stories have to be out there because people will know these stories and they will draw courage and their own courage from them. You are- and I, and I want people to know that there's a lot of lifelines. You know, we talk about the lifeline, there's not just one. If, if I had every single person who's featured in this film and drew a line between them of how they're all interconnected, it would look like a spider web because, you know, there's more than one lifeline. There's the friendship you reach out to, there's the organization like PFLAG, you know, there's all of that. So a, a young person out there, God forbid, if they're a victim of a hate crime, I want them to know that's why we called it pieces of us. They'll help they find all of these different pieces that they can find as their lifeline, because that's what's going to get them through. And we're going to give them resources in this movie. And there will be others, um, you know, they can help them too. But there's a lot of lifelines. So even if the parents or something like that kicks you out of the house, there's more lifelines than that, right? Well, that's, a, that's the, the most important thing. That's why I wanted to talk to you guys because um, right now we're obviously on the cusp of something great in history, even though it doesn't seem that way um, with all the, the violence going on, but the, uh, but the intended looting and riots and protesting is so mm -hmm. freaking important, it's insane. And the education behind this film, the resource that it's going to allow kids like we talked about earlier about like getting further and further into the world to hear these stories to hear you have to say your story because for so long specifically queer culture has been put in the basement it's been shut down it's yeah. not in our history books um right. we're we're working really hard to make that happen um with uh new people creating curriculums for that um but there has to be action every single day of every single year for this to actually have an impact and for people to be impacted by it. So if it does happen, God, thank right. God, Mikhail, you knew to call that, but I will tell you this, no one knows to call those things half the time. Right. Cause you're, you're, I think inside of the community, right? They, and, and I think about it almost in like a decade, right? All these e ethics we've lived through, e like EPOCHs, right? And, yeah. um, and it, there's been changes through, through each of them. <laughs> But, you know, first we were stigmatized and you couldn't say who you were. Uh, and, and that stigma prevents you from accessing things that are like you or connect to you or then the help that you need, right? If you, if, and what if you do need help? What's wrong with you that you yeah. need? Yes. And I think that those are some of those, um, you know, unintended, intended, but terrible messaging that comes through. Yeah. So, so a film like this needs to have an educational life. Of course, we're going to put it in film festivals worldwide. Of course, we are yeah. seeking distribution, right? But then we need to find an educational 
type of distribution for this film. It should be played in high schools. It should be played, in, it could be played in junior highs. It could be played in colleges. It needs to be a part of a curriculum. And it shouldn't just be, um, you know, some LGBTQ studies in college. No, we don't right. need to. No, that's, no, you know, we also way need, more than that. Yeah, yeah, we need to have it to our community, but then we have to have it to more as well. Um, we can't wait till college or some university to tell us it's okay to be ourselves. We need to right. see it at a very, very young age. I mean, yes. and, that's, and that's like those, those earlier statistics that we were throwing around. We talk about who's reporting hate, hate crime, who is the target of it. And you, and you look at that on something uh, where you have this graph, right, of these numbers, then you realize that the average age of kids coming out is like decades younger than when we were kids, right? They're yeah. coming out in single digits and early and tweens, right? Yeah. And, and that's like, you don't have those resources. You're not 27 and able to get a job, right. you know, you're, right? You don't, the, the rug can be pulled out from under you exactly. at that age. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's a big, I'll just mention a brief part of my story. Um, Please. Why, why I'm making this film, I'm not a hate crime survivor, but I was a closeted homosexual for 32 years. I, mar I was married to a woman and thought I was doing what I was expected to do. And obviously that didn't work out, thank goodness. <laughs> um, got divorced and had to move across the country to come out at 32, left New York, New Jersey and moved to California. And that's the only way I could come out because I needed to get everything that was familiar to me, anything that would pull me back or, or push me to be that young boy that felt the bullying that Mikkel described. I had to get all those things out of my world to address this and have the strength like a turtle with its shell removed. Yeah. And that's why I connected with these stories because I understood what it's like to have a secret and to know that if I told that secret, I would risk family, I would risk, you know, love, I would risk everything. Um, and it, it doesn't, I was not a hate crime survivor. I was not attacked. I was bullied, but, you know, so I don't understand the exponential depth of the hurt that Mikkel was just describing to you. But the feeling of inadequacy that the society puts on you is so powerful if you allow it to live in the darkness and when you shine when you're brave enough which took me took me 32 years to be brave enough uh, to shine a light on that part of myself and the person i told after i moved to california i came back to new york the first time after this move and i met with sue senna who's in this film she was one of my best friends i was actually married to her her um her brother's her i'm sorry her boyfriend was the brother of my ex-wife and so we knew each other she's the only person that survived the transition of mark from east to west coast um and i i just knew somehow that she would get it and she wouldn't judge me and so i i drove across the country and i i met a guy out in california i fell in love I came back to New York. I decided to move. I thought I had a job. I got to LA. They said, oh, we didn't offer you that job. You're out of your mind. And I was like, okay. But I had met a man and I fell in love with him. So I moved anyway. And that's what brought me to LA. And so I came back to New York and I showed Sue my photo album of our drive across the country. I didn't tell her I was gay. I still wasn't brave enough to do it. But she looked at the pictures and I knew she'd get it. She saw the way I photographed him. It was clear that I was in love with him. And she said, who's Dan again? And I said, Dan's my boyfriend. And she just looked at me and she said, are you happy? And I'm going to get choked up because no one had ever asked me that. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yes. And it feels so amazing to have somebody ask you that. Yeah. Um, so that's my, very that's my, my story. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story that goes decades of people's hurt and frustrations with the way we've, with the way a lot of people, with the way white cisgendered male have created the, the storyline for a lot of people. And that's, that's the truth, you know, and that's what's been created to keep that blockade up, to be scared for such a heinous crime, to almost be scared to tell someone because you don't mm -hmm. think anyone is going to support you. Mm -hmm. Thank God for these lifelines like you keep using. That's a great way to describe um, something that has such an effect, a trifecta of like enormous amount 
of um, generosity and understanding and listening and learning um, in, in, this, in this world and specifically in the queer community because it has been kicked a lot, but it's the, we will, we don't care. Fuck yeah. off to everybody well, else because we Yeah, and I have to say one other thing is I'm fortunate, I'm privileged. I'm a white man and I can pass as straight. I did it for 30 years, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Not so often. But I mean, I can't even imagine. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. I thought I did. Right. That's all that matters. It's what okay. I'm saying is, it for you, like, yeah, everyone knew before me, probably. Oh, they all do. Everyone knows. Always do. Thank God he's come out. Yeah, it, that's I mean, what they said. But what I'm saying is, there are people who, you know, their skin color, they can't hide that and they're so the, the discrimination that i internalized is like one percent of what people who can't hide their skin color or they're trans and they have no ability to hide that and i was lucky and i felt all this pain and this is why i wanted to make this film because i wanted people who weren't as lucky to be a white man yeah. I, I didn't choose it i yeah oh, yeah 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 and I, and, so funny you guys are literally i have questions but you're just doing them which mm -hmm. is hysterical so i've not asked one single thing i told you we're talkers yeah. I know, I love it. uh yes yes you all are yep that's great i love it what uh it's just said basically is what what impact would you hope the film would have on the queer community um across the board and uh you've already been saying that but let's just keep adding on that conversation keep keep going with that like what I have a thought on it is that, you know, we're talking about um, speaking up and, and you know, and, and um, speaking your truth if you're a victim of a hate crime and, and not being ashamed and hiding in that pain. You know, I, I would love to see another huge movement in our community like we had the Me Too movement for women because look, it's different. But the story is the same. The same. Yeah. Women being subjected or, yeah. you know, harassment and assault, and they don't want to speak up because they're afraid of what it's going to do. So that now we've got the Black Lives Matter and, and this incredible movement for people of color that I hope will continue. And so we need to have that again. Yes, we've had our stone walls. We've had a lot of wins since then. But you know what? When you're a marginalized group, it just feels like you have to keep up in it. You have to keep speaking up, you know, just hitting your head on that glass ceiling, which women have done, you know, people of color have done. And we need to do that, I feel personally, in the LGBTQ community, um, is to speak up about it and share our stories and reach out and not, not be ashamed of it because there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing and there's resources out there. So, you know, that would, that would be my hope for this. Yeah, I keep seeing, I keep, uh, as I was listening to everyone speak, this one moment at Ole Miss University when I brought the one-man show, Pieces of Me, to it first year, I um, opened up with a Q&A, and what kept replaying in my head after the Q&A was, we need a medium to address this and and what this film is going to do it's going to address various different issues when i was in that auditorium educators from Ole Miss were there parents were almost uh, students who needed to get credits were there full house and um one question came from the far right in the dark and these two women were super brave enough to say mikhail um uh and I think the question was um, uh, something around how do you protect yourself when you're being attacked, you know, because of, and these two women goes, Mikhail, we have a huge rape problem on campus. What do you think we can do? And I was like, wow. I said, well, I'll tell you what I did. You know, I went to uh, Tiger Shulman's and I got into kickboxing and I got my, you know, my uh, da, da 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 That got the room very uncomfortable and it got, but that's what needs to happen. You have to address the big elephant in the room. And right after the, 
after the show completely ended, I felt like I was in a priest back in my old church in one of those confessionals because there was a line of people coming and asking questions in private of me yeah. that they were not willing to share in public. So what better medium to have this work is uh, the medium of film. So these people who still don't have that courage to come out in public, at least in private, they have this, this piece of work that's gonna help transform their lives on some level and give them access to the help that they need. Mark? Boy, I don't think I can add much to those two uh, statements. Um, I think just people need to stop feeling that there's anything shameful about being who you are. Yeah. Uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, that's how it resonates for me. Um, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to defend. You don't have to ask for tolerance. You just have to be, you have to know who you are is enough. Yeah. There's, there's an uh, amazing amount of, um, you know, work that's being made and, and put out in the world. And it's sort of this democratization of media, right? Like we can all make a video and put it out there and, um, or, or we can make a flyer or we can make a thing and put it out there. And if we're really specific in our voices, I mean, I think some of the things that I look for as both an artist and an educator is how particular, how specific somebody's being about that this is about LGBTQ experience, or this is a lesbian experience, or this is a woman's experience. Um, because that's, uh, my grandmother would have called it taking the wind out of their sails, right? Like the more that we don't show the shame by showing up as who we are, the less power they can, they can take or, or feel that they have, mm -hmm. a, can, you know, negotiate in those bullying situations, in those, um, you know, potentially violent situations, right? Like if, if the assumption is not that I have to go out and protect myself because I'm a woman or protect myself because I'm queer, um, you know, we're, we're shifting the power dynamic away from people who've taken that as an assumption. And I think art, you know, does some of that work for us. Oh yeah, art does that. Art scares people. Which yeah. and, it, yeah. and it challenges people. And that's something we, Mikhail yeah. touched on briefly, but there's an element in the film Another layer of it is, Mikhail mentioned, you know, if I didn't have my, my voice and my piano, like art became a medium for him to express this right. pain. Gypsa, as a gay rapper, he wrote songs about it. They have, there's an outlet that art gives you somehow, it's so universal that it allows people to express themselves in, in ways that might not be easy to do in a conversation. But it also allows people to take it in in a different way mm -hmm. because music for one you know is so powerful to reach you and i have this brain where i can hear a song and i can remember oh i was driving down the street you know in hawaii when this song came on i have a yeah. weird connection but it also can bring back emotion because it's 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 a different part of your brain that's being activated and art and music need to be used as a way to educate because it, it frees people and Mikkel's workshops with flagging, which is another thing we didn't mention, um, is absolutely an example of that. It's oh, a yeah. massive example of that. It's a workshop. Well, Mikkel, you can talk about it. If I talk about it, I'm going to go on and on and on. on so. Yeah, so I, um, you know, in my six years of healing uh, with PTSD, I needed to continue to exercise my demons and help other people heal. And um, I stepped away from the piano, from singing, and I took another medium that I fell passionately in love with called flagging. And um, uh, this is the short story. I saw a need for people who have disabilities. So I created a uh, workshop called Flow and Flare, and I go into, um, because of COVID, um, business has been suspended, but I'm at 30 classes a month and we, we, I have an instructor now, we go into rehabilitation centers where we work with people with severe cerebral palsy, um, people who have severe mental disorders, people who have autism, senior centers, people who are dealing with Parkinson's, dementia, the whole gamut. When Flow and Flare comes in, they see the color, they see the expression of the human body moving in space with color 
and music and the de design of the class has the the people hiring flow and flair wanting it back and then that jumped to a philanthropic project that i created called broadway to bombay where we brought the same uh, contents of of the class and created a workshop to deal with lgbtq people in india who are dealing with um, stigma and being criminalized for being gay because there you can't even come out well not and, anymore it's not you don't be criminalized anymore just one of those. yeah well i mean it's not criminalized but um what prince manvendra said um that now broadway to bombay is needed more than ever because now um the lgbtq community is coming out but they're dealing with society right the culture so, yeah the culture so uh, what better way to use art, dance, music, color again, to help people deal with difficult emotions that they cannot express publicly. And it's just, and it's just, you know, become something that I don't even know how, how <laughs> we could support its growth. You know, yeah. we, we've reached over a billion, that's with a B, non-speaking um, uh, non-English speaking people because of the media and because of Prince Manvedra's leadership for this project. So, and it all started because you couldn't, you couldn't um, express, you couldn't find your voice. Yes. And you found it through that. And in the film, it's a really beautiful thing because the flagging, um, and as you mentioned, Anthony, it's such a big thing and it's a real through line throughout the entire documentary. And you know, and me having edited it, Mikhail, you know, this is how I've seen it because I feel like I know every word you've ever said because of the interview. But um, as a little boy, with him being bullied, and he talks about being, um, uh, you know, hiding in the bathroom during recess because he didn't want to be bullied and picked on. So he's hiding, he's suppressing, he's not using his voice. He was happy only one day a week, and that's when he could go to dance class. And that's when he would be happy. So what happened then? This dance, that was what he felt like he had a voice. So then all of a sudden he doesn't have a voice again. He's a, you know, a hate crime survivor, but you were feeling like a victim. You hadn't found that survivor yet. And he uses that flag as a voice. And then he gives the voice to people with physical disabilities. And then a voice, you know, they might have mental disabilities. And then all, you know, and now we're in India. And so this this flag is, a, is an extension of this voice that he's really giving to all of these different communities around the world. I mean, how freaking cool is that? Uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty <laughs> I mean, cool. that's just really amazing. Yeah. Talk about pieces coming together. That's another whole thing of pieces, you know? This is a perfect place to stop this amazing conversation and tell everybody, you're gonna go through the list of all of you, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can find the film, give all your social media, every single thing you could possibly think of that exists for you um, and let us know. And then we'll, and then we'll top it off by ending our, this amazing conversation with something. So go ahead. Cheryl, uh, Marco first. Uh, I am Mark VDH on Facebook, V as in Victor, D as in David, H. Vonderheide is my full name, but no one can pronounce it except me. So it's VDH, Mark VDH on Facebook. Great. Uh, Mikhail. I'm on Instagram, uh, pieces of me, M-Y-K-E-L, pieces of me, M-Y-K-E-L. Um, and then the, we have the documentary uh, film on Instagram, pieces of us, the documentary. Um, Facebook, same thing, uh, pieces of us, the documentary. And the uh, website, pieces of us, the film.com. And um, you can find us tomorrow because we're holding a bingo fundraiser with Cha Cha at 2 p.m. Um, and we're going to be streaming on Facebook. Cheryl. Yeah. Uh, I'm Cheryl Allison. That's C-H-E-R-Y-L. Uh, A-L-L-I-S-O-N on Facebook. And I'm Cher, as in, whoo, Cher, uh, on Instagram. I'm Cher Allison. And then uh, at Real uh, Cher Allison on Twitter. Um, and then my website is CherylAllison.net. So is that where they find our film, Cheryl? Wild Films is also on CherylAllison.net. There's a tab. So you can see some of the other films I've directed and produced and that sort of um, thing. You can meet Honk. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, first, I just want to say this, and, I, and I've been saying this to all of my panelists. 
Um, it's a word that I absolutely love and, it, and, I, and I respect this word and it's a true. You're all actually very brave for speaking out on this platform. It's, um, it's out into the world. Um, people can react however they want to react to it. They can watch it. They can love it. They can hate it. But it's something that you put your, you don't think of it this often, but it is a brave move to speak on something so, so strong um, in this world. It's so real and very vulnerable and putting yourself out there. You're all putting yourselves out there by making this film, no matter what, no matter how you think of it. And that's a brave act. And that's how I see you and I hear you. We both hear you and see you. And thank you for being a part of this. Um, and I wanna thank you, not just on behalf of this kind of moment, but um, the future of this. Um, I primarily work with youth and I am grateful to continue to add voices that, that help give them a sense of history and give them a sense of what can be. Um, I'm most deeply connecting to the idea that this is after, right? News, the 24 hour news cycle gives us what happens, um, but we don't get to follow through. And I'm really grateful for you using voices that are, are voices of, of pain initially and um, turning this into something that is hopeful um, for our future, collective future. Um, so, so thank you so thank much you so for your much. time with us. We're done. You're welcome. Uh, thank you, David, so much. I will see you tomorrow. Um, take care of yourselves, be well, listen, learn, and love. That's it. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Good night, night all. Thank Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of QT. For more information on Pieces of Us, the documentary, you can find them on Facebook or go to piecesofusthefilm.com for when it's going to be released into the world for your viewing pleasure and to listen and learn and love that film. Thank you to my panel. You're all spectacular human beings. And of course, thank you to my on-air sponsors, Jose de la Cuesta and Michael J. Grabowskis. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love.